I'm Stuart Sheldon. My name's Ron Rothberg. 30 years ago, I was on Wall Street. I was the youngest vice president at my fancy company, but that's not what I wanted to do. After spending nearly 25 years in media, I knew things were changing, both in the industry and inside me. Swan Dive shares the powerful stories of those who had the clarity and backbone to make a major life pivot to their vision. I took a Swan Dive. I have been an artist ever since, and it's the best choice I ever made. Getting closer to who you really are. That's Swan Dive. Letizia Dewar is a force of light and joy. She's created immediately impactful programs to help bring food, education, mental health services, and more to rural areas of Costa Rica. When there is injustice, there is something happening to me. You know, I cannot, you know, I cannot turn around or I cannot, I'm not cold. I suddenly feel that heart center. Everything is like starting to twinkle. And so there is a a really physical almost experience to to what's happening. And I cannot be cold or indifferent. That's it. That's not what Letizia literally means joy. And the greatest joy of all, she's just getting started. Dive with us on another edition of Swan Dive. From the Peacock and Park Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, and in Costa Rica at the Fancy Nasty Studios, home of Stuart Sheldon, this is another edition of Swan Dive. I'm Ron Rothberg, and in Costa Rica, say hello to Stu. Hey, Stu. Hey, Ron. What a beautiful day. So glad to see you. We're recording this on a beautiful spring day here in the United States, and it is March 11th. And according to the WHO, March 11th was the day that COVID was officially a global pandemic. And um, instead of all the consternation and all of the anxiety and everything from that, it's really nice for us to celebrate some of the pleasures, some of the joy Uh, that have come our way over this past year. First of all, we're almost celebrating a full year of doing Swan Dive. And and that's an amazing feat in and of itself. And second of all, I had this whole year littered with positive memories of connecting with my family and my cousin or my niece and other people who, if not for COVID, uh, would not have had these connections. So I'm incredibly grateful for a lot of the pieces of that uh, that were so positive and meaningful for me. I read a quote yesterday by Carl Jung that said, the world will ask you who you are. And if you do not know, the world will tell you. And for me, that means that you hopefully have gained some clarity in the past year. And that clarity helps you understand what you want and what you're best at and what your superpowers are. And if you haven't, well, then society is going to kind of dictate to you, you know, what they want you to do. So I'm hoping that we can help people a little bit to, to, to sort of turn the light on inside themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and our guest today is someone whose light is turned on. You mentioned mm-hmm. joy her name is Leticia Dewar, and she her name means joy. Leticia means joy. So it's very fitting that one year into this project, which is all about finding joy, we're celebrating with this beautiful person. Leticia Dewar is the founder and development director of Sepia. Sepia means culture, education, and psychology for infants and adolescents, and is an incredibly important part of the community in which Leticia and I live. It, it is an award-winning nonprofit, nationally accredited organization that serves over a thousand at-risk teenagers, children, 
their families, and adults in Juanacaste, where we live, through various education programs, psychological, legal, and medical care, as well as recreational activities, sports, and arts. For this work, Leticia was invited to be a fellow of the Central American Leadership Initiative of the Aspen Institute in the United States. And the work that she is doing, can I cannot emphasize how important and how immediately impactful it is on the lives of countless people in these communities. Leticia was born in Belgium. She participated in social projects in Guatemala and Mexico as a university student. And at 23, she moved to Costa Rica and worked in a family business before getting deeply involved as a volunteer with PANI, a government child protection agency in Costa Rica. During this time, she became concerned with the economic development shadowing extreme poverty and human distress and has devoted a great portion of her life to solving issues surrounding those problems. She has a master's in clinical psychology and educational sciences with an emphasis on family education and works as a private EMDR and transpersonal psychotherapist and transformational breathwork facilitator. Leticia is a friend of mine, a beautiful, beautiful human being, and I am so delighted and honored that she has joined us today. Welcome, my friend. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you so much for inviting me on your beautiful show, and I'm very happy to be here with you. Yes. Well, we're happy to have you. And, you know, we talked about this idea of the world asking you who you are and who you really are. Another thing I read yesterday was, do you know who you really are? Um, Can you answer that question outside of a patriarchal label like manager or CEO or doctor? Tell us a little bit about how you went from working in a family business to kind of devoting yourself entirely to the betterment of community and those less fortunate. I think, Stuart, that from a pretty early age as a teenager and going uh, at 17 years old to Guatemala, um, I kind of really understood who I am at a pretty early age, let's say. I think the indigenous people in Guatemala and Mexico really also helped me to to go deeper into who I am. And uh, I think that uh, one of the, the things that really connected inside uh, for me was human connection. I knew that I needed to work uh, together with people, in connection with people, uh, within, you know, this this beautiful um, thing we have is social interaction, social connection. So uh, I knew that this was my call, to work with people and to care about people. And um, I also, I think... Um, uh, the indigenous people showed me also the way into um, connecting with, you know, inner guidance and really be in tune with uh, this inner voice that we all have inside and not maybe always listen to what others say or what society says, but really going deep into that inner voice uh, that inner guide that we have all of us. And I think that voice was, was there. And I think uh, with the years, it became stronger and stronger uh, and also, I think one part of me that uh, always stood out, I think, and, and that's also what my family always says, is um, uh, I wanted to be courageous. You know, I wanted mm. to uh, never, not give up and, and always go for that inner power uh, that's in each of us. And so, yes, that was uh, what really started to define me. You are a guide in meditation. I teach meditation to the kids and the teenagers at our nonprofit, Sepia. Uh, but I also do do this in a private setting, private practice, and also, f- of course, for myself. 
So that's, I think, one of the ways to get in touch with uh, inner force and inner guidance. Yeah. What's kind of interesting and what stands out for me is you're, uh, you're, you're a Belgian, you're blonde, you're, you're beautiful wo- European woman, and you're working in the sort of depths of the Pueblos in Central America and have been now for decades. There's something so, there's something so romantic about it all. But in fact, the work that you do is the, anything but romantic. You just do the dirty work. You're a connector, yeah, but you're also an administrator. And to get people fed, to get people educated, to, to get school clothing for, for, for women in the Pueblos, it takes a lot of coordination. And you're a coordinator. And it's thankless work, but it changes the world. I, I want to thank you. Tell us about how you balance your life with that, that, the frustrations and stresses that go with that type of busy work and, 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 and how you keep, a, you know, keep your positivity. Well, it's a very appropriate question of the day because uh, I have to admit this morning, I was like overwhelmed by doing this interview just because it has been a couple of very tough days and uh, some weeks at Sepiak and, you know, there is a flow and everything is beautiful and all the activities and all the people in the villages respond well and, and, and participate. But then you have these weeks like this week that are sometimes tough. I'm very, very tired and... Um, and then it's about getting into that deep core, you know, and, and inside of me uh, where I can find, again, that strength. Uh, that's one thing. I think I, I just go deep into myself and really look for strength. I also always uh, call in all my, you know, I, I believe that I have beautiful spirits and ancestors that are with me. Uh, I have a little story about a one of my ancestors that actually did the same job as me in, this, in 1780, uh, she created one of the biggest uh, shelters for children. Uh, we, there was a book written about her. So anyway, I, I know that, you know, all my people are with me in spirit. So I kind of, you know, connect with them and, and make sure. But I also deeply connect with, of course, with the people I have around me because I think sometimes leadership can be very lonely. And I think that, what I also do is I make sure that um, I, 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 I'm vulnerable sometimes and I, I, you know, I'm tired right now. So I make sure that I call in friends and family and, you know, my people that I work with. And even today I went to this community, to the to Sapia's community center and I, you know, I got a big hug from the secretary mm. and, you know, and I think she gave me again, like some energy to, to, to go through this very difficult day and the last couple of days. So, and also to to tell you a little bit about, you know, when you said uh, going into the villages, and uh, you know, I'm a foreigner, like you say, I, I look uh, completely from another planet for them. So, um, I think what has been important are two things. Is one was um, I had to deal with a lot of men, of course, in the villages because most villages are run by men. So I also had to show them that a woman could uh, have a, has a voice and, um, you know, could speak out and was not afraid to say things that maybe they weren't used to uh, uh, hear from women. So I, I kind of, you know, took it on me to really be very straightforward. But always, you know, I'm, I can be very tough, but, you know, I really always try to open my heart and really be very gentle with people but I say what I what I think and what I need or what 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 other women around me need, 
so that was one. And on the other side, it was creating and connecting with the right people, you know, because you have allies and support. I mean, people around you that are in the same flow as you. And uh, I mean, you are one of them, Stuart. You know, I don't have to tell you twice to come and join me for something. So, you know, I think that, you know, having this really collaboration all together made like, you know, that energy of, okay, you know, things needs to change or uh, we want to do something here all together. And let's mm-hmm. do I'd love to go back to your meditation and, you know, the, the, the calming and, and getting through the day, the, the difficult week that it was. Do you go inward into your breath or do you seek your ancestor in that meditation or is it just, do you go there naturally? Well, um, I have, you know, elaborated my own practice, but yes, first of all, I'm a breath worker and a yogi. So I think that connecting with the breath has been my, you know, my mom taught me that as a pretty early age, as a, you know, she's a yoga teacher. So, uh, you know, I, I really connect deeply with the breath first. I think the breath is one of our, you know, most beautiful tools that we got. And I think that uh, we, we, you know, we can go very deep with our breath and get really in tune with our breath. And that allows us to also disconnect from these, all these thoughts, because of course, when I come out of the day, day like this, uh, I have a thousand thoughts about what I need to do and, and issues that I need to resolve. So I need to connect with the breath to exclude all these thoughts. And um, and then I just make a, a really conscious, be very conscious of where I am, you know, physically and, and in my body with my breath and really, um, you know, just call in these beautiful ancestors mm-hmm. and spirits and whoever, angels, whatever name they have, uh, they're just there, you know, I know. And, um, and it's just about calling them and mm. that they are, you know, um, I also used to connect with, um, animal spirits. And I also believe that we all are connected with animals because, you know, we, we, um, you know, we are connected with, with everyone, but also with everything, plants and animals. So, um, my animal is the fox and, uh, it's a very special animal. Uh, I used to live for, uh, over 15 years with my family in the Fox streets, which was very crazy that I later discovered through the guidance of the indigenous people that my animal was the Fox, but uh, the Fox uh, has been, you know, a very powerful animal that, that is with me. And, uh, and I can even really feel a presence from, yes. Hmm. Uh, Let, yes. I, I read a quote yesterday, Leticia, that just reminded me so much of you. I had to bring it along. It says, I weave my village together and create spaces for extraordinary, authentic transformation, multidimensional healing, fun, love, and abundance to happen. And I feel like you really do that. You really are weaving a village both internally and externally. Um, Tell us, you moved to Costa Rica when you were 23, raised in Ghent. Um, Tell us what your swan dive was. Yes, that's a special question, right? Uh, very deep question, you know, um, difficult question. But at the same time, I was thinking that the first day that I opened the doors of the community center and that I had, that I really, you know, uh, could, I had made other decisions about creating a nonprofit and meeting with people and do paperwork. But the really dive was about getting 50 children and moms and everyone in the community center and suddenly feel that first week what was really happening there. And then I knew 
that I had really jumped into something completely uh, that would change my life. And that changed my life, you know, uh, that moment where the kids were playing and, and learning and then the moms would, you know, be happy to get out of their house, eventually living with a, a violent husband or living, you know, without food. So, you know, they came into this place and I was not alone there. We had, you know, uh, people like you and, and local Costa Ricans that were already, you know, jumping in to help and to support the organization. It was a really beautiful moment that uh, that I knew that day that this would be probably what I would do for the rest of my life. Was your vision of what you were going to accomplish, uh, what was it before and what was it after you opened your doors? Did it change? The first vision was actually um, the library. So I have, uh, you know, I'm, uh, in my culture, we used to go to the library every Wednesday afternoon. We don't have school in, in Belgium. Wednesday afternoon is like a family trip to the library. And uh, you sit in the library for one or two hours and, and you read there, or you take books. And, and I don't know, it was uh, one of the things that I visualized first was uh, having that space where the kids and the moms could sit and learn and it can be a very beautiful thing. And I also, of course, remember my parents reading to me as a child before bedtime. Uh, and I think that that is also something special that was related to the library. Um, yes, I think that was the first vision. What what you created, for example, during the, the COVID um, early on, a lot of the when people had to stop working in this community, we live in a rural part of northwestern Costa Rica. Wanacaste is the name of our province. People were forced to stop working, construction workers, food service workers, hospitality workers, everyone. And what was what was we realized or what society realized was that very quickly without income, people didn't have food. And very quickly, thousands of people were literally starving. And what Leticia did with Sepia was organize for basically a food bank where an enormous warehouse was filled with rice and oil and carrots and tomatoes and and this and that. And then people like myself were organized as volunteers and we were literally taking food out into these small villages. And I would personally, I personally experienced driving up and a, and a little old woman comes out of her house crying mm. with gratitude because she was out of food. And I had never seen that kind of like first responder. I never had that experience before, but you did that. And you do that with, you offer psychological services, you offer educational services, you offer clothing, you offer summer camp for the kids. It's just a remarkable thing. And it's so real. And that was in fact a, a true swan dive. And it seems like as you were describing, it it is your legacy. What is it that you have hoped for in terms of its growth and evolution going forward? I really made a commitment um, when I started Sapia to 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 do this uh, till the rest of my life uh, because it's a, a really big commitment. Because when things get complicated, uh, you know you need to keep standing, and there is no choice. You need to continue. One of the things that I really care for is uh, I would like people to have more and more technical skills and, and formal education for adults, because you know, Stuart, that um, 
many people here don't find jobs because uh, they don't they have never had the opportunity to go to school to receive education and to learn skills like right now we're doing electricity course it was an air conditioning class before uh, repairing cell phones um, and okay, learning English so many things that people really want to learn you know they're eager to learn they want to get these opportunities but Unfortunately, the government is not reaching uh, every part of the country, and we are, like you said, in a very rural area. So I think that uh, I, uh, my biggest hope is to continue this uh, this amazing growth around trainings for adults. And then there is a special program that I really love. Um, it's called the Girls Clubs. And yesterday, um, I think I found some funding for boys clubs because I don't want to leave the boys out. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we want to change society, and also how men are treating women, we need to work with the boys. Yeah, And I talk about girls and boys age 8 to 12 years old. And uh, this is also one of the programs that uh, I would like. I said, you know, we don't need only a water board or a water pump in every village. We also need uh, a girls club and a boys club in every village because it's a safe space, really a safe space for children. Uh, to get together with a with an adult that you know really knows what what she or he is doing, but allows these kids to express themselves, to learn other ways of thinking, also of relating to women or men, right? Uh, especially towards women, and also to believe in themselves and eventually also share stories of difficulties they're going through. Mm -hmm. uh, we identify, of course, many victims of abuse and, and violence in these groups. Uh, right now we have over 130 girls in these groups and, you know, it's constantly that, uh, you know, we're, we're needed to, to give follow-up to these kids because they're going through some hard stuff. And there is a lot of violence also in, in, uh, in Guanacaste. Uh, you know, the, the traditional, it's a very traditional culture where sometimes physical punishment is still very uh, used. Uh, there are also a lack of boundaries sometimes between men and women and, and men and younger women. So, yeah, we're working on that. And I think that the children are the ones who, you know, who will uh, create that change because it's hard to change older people. Yeah. Hey, Stu, you talked about, you know, it was a very difficult time at the beginning of this uh, pandemic. Have things eased up? Is, do you see that things are getting better? What's the update? Yeah, it's a bit better. Uh, you know, we went from zero tourists to now we're at 30%. It's it's uh, it's starting. Everyone is, I, I, I can uh, hear and see, we have less demands for food packages. People are getting little jobs, you know, part-time. Uh, but it's it's little by little, uh, there is a recovery. Yeah, but I we still see. need to, we still are distributing food packages because we still have families that are not being able to survive. Hmm. Right, right. And that, you know, that it, 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 when it started, there was this sort of call to arms for volunteers to help and a lot of folks showed up. But, you know, eight months later, it's sort of off radar. And so, but but my point is, is that, but Leticia is still doing that work and feeding these people. Yeah, Sepia is still doing the work and sending that stuff out into the, cor you know, far corners of this area. And that's what, that's what hero heroism looks like to me. You know, the first week when the reporters are there and everyone's taking pictures, that's okay. That's kind of the, you know, the, that, that's the social media moment, but it's eight months later when the work continues and another thing that I that I that I really admire about the work that you do and the, and what you've created is that there's a psychological piece, and these people are traumatized. And you actually have a specialization in your 
in your psychological training in trauma. Tell us a little bit about that and how that has translated into what you've created at Sepia. Yes, um, of course, when you ask me what was also the vision when we started Sepia, I was, you know, as a psychologist, um, I also uh, felt that emotional and mental well-being was a priority uh, in every society, right? I think not only in Costa Rica, everywhere people are hungry uh, for, um, you know, focus on their emotional and mental well-being, on happiness, and not only on material well-being. We really um, expanded that program amazingly. You know, we have now four psychologists working, uh, you know, with the people who need support. You know, we saw that during the pandemic, uh, 52% of the people reported not sleeping uh, well and, and sometimes not at all, really sleeping problems. And a lot of issues coming up during the pandemic. So the psychological part was really uh, important to implement and we continue. It doesn't stop. Uh, for me, um, you know, when people have gone through trauma, or we call them uh, difficult life experiences, some people recover um, by themselves just because they have a good social network or because they have the right support. But in general, and especially with people who live in, in rural communities with very little resources and little education, um, definitely the support that they can get for a from a professional is amazing. And I think that we have to data tools like EMDR, like all my staff is trained in, in uh, EMDR therapy, which comes from California, um, and other types of therapy, as well as breath work and breathing techniques, to really uh, help them to, uh, you know, reprocess and integrate what has happened to them, and to be able to not be triggered and be able to live their lives uh, way more peacefully than as it was it would uh, it, it is still happening at some point for, to them you know you know people that live trauma from uh, violence and, and abuse and other things they they sometimes have really have the feeling in their bodies in in you know in, in the mind emotionally that the trauma is, is is you know just appearing again and the same sensation the same thoughts you know are are coming up or being triggered and um, it's a very difficult and very people are tired and people, you know, can cannot focus and, you know, get physical uh, pains and, and distress. So um, I think that trauma healing is really important. Um, and that's what we continue to do because we, we have the tools. It's just giving people the opportunity and when they're ready to explore uh, what they want to work on and, and allow them to have that safe space where they can be listened to, where they can connect, um, and where they can, you know, uh, again, uh, connect with that inner, inner guidance. Because I believe that the healer isn't inside of us. You know, the psychologist is not the healer of the person. Okay, the healer is inside, and the psychologist's role is to connect you with your own healer, right? So, Well, that's, that brings me to an interesting question. I, I, I'm married to... Uh, a psychologist. So I, I am very acutely aware of, of the, the trauma that you take on by heal, helping people with their trauma. And you talked earlier about the sleepless nights of a lot of people and just the big job that you have in the organization and the people who are dependent on you. So how do you deal with it? Did you have some sleepless nights and how do you deal with that? I only have sleepless nights when we run out of money. <laughs> hmm. What but, do you do? But, then what happens? But, but, no, I understand your question about trauma. 
uh, again, uh, I think I have learned thanks to thanks to my my guides from indigenous people to uh, traditional therapists that uh, how to also uh, protect myself and I I do I do not have to carry people's trauma of course. I think it's about um, first of all have an open heart yes so so really be uh, have that heart center really open uh, when you work with people. But when I close a session and when I when I leave Sapia, when I leave the community center and I, I return to my life, let's say, or to my family or to my quiet space, um, you know, I need to go back into myself and in my body and my whole being to make sure that, you know, I am uh, in a form of a way cleaning myself. Yeah, Cleaning means in a sense that, um, you know, it can go from a shower uh, all the way to use plants and to use um, techniques, vis- visual techniques and breathing to make sure that I just allow and release and just uh, let go what, what is not mine, what is what I'm carrying eventually, because, yes, you, 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 might, you may carry. So um, it's, it's every day that's, you know, part of the job, too, is every day being really aware of that self-care that you need to give yourself. And to make sure that what's left is yours and that's uh, what you need to work on or breathe through uh, or surrender to and uh, allow to come. And sometimes I will lay down on my mat. I will do some, you know, breathing for 10 minutes and I will start to cry. And maybe, I don't know, maybe this is something that came from the people or maybe it's something inside. Sometimes it doesn't matter. It just needs to be released. And, and and then just giving yourself yourself some self care and some uh, you know some self support. Mm. Not only are you making a big a big difference here in in our beautiful remote part of the world, but um, you have been recognized and have been now uh, for several years part of the Central American Leadership Initiative of the Aspen Institute, mm. uh, part of their Aspen Global Leadership Network, and you make a regular pilgrimage to Aspen, is it every year or more or less, and yes. meet with thought leaders and world leaders to try to solve these problems. And, and so you're actually trying to template some of the things that you're doing to solve hunger and to solve poverty. Tell us about that and how that's changed you and, and what, 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 what we can expect from that. Yes, the central, uh, sorry, the leadership program of the Aspen Institute is, is a wonderful program uh, that exists all over the world. And, um, you know, it, it brings leaders together from the nonprofit or civil society with business leaders, with even religious leaders and political leaders. So we're all together around the table, um, you know, for sometimes a whole week or more. Um, and uh, we discuss, we read, you know, we have readings and we discuss these readings all together. It goes from economic readings to poetry to all kinds of readings that really go into the depth of why we're here and what are we doing about it? What are we doing about poverty? What are we doing about social injustice and all the issues that the world is facing? So the program has been for me, of course, again, um, it's part of my my support network. Uh, There are people there that uh, support me, uh, you know, personally and that I can, you know, uh, ask questions to or, or just share my stories when I'm stuck. And, uh, of course, it's also an intellectual stimulation. And it, when I come back from Aspen in July every year, I come back with, like, 50 new ideas and super motivated. And it's like a recharging of batteries for us. And at the same time, um, 
you know, the Aspen Institute asks us to commit with a, a bigger project. It's called uh, Vida Mujer, which is translated into women's life. So it's a project that right now has reached already 650 women. Uh, and it's about sexual and reproductive rights of women. So we um, teach women sex education, but also we provide them with medical assistance to get a free IUD. So can you imagine that in Costa Rica, a woman that lives in poverty uh, has not cannot afford public health system, which is about $50 a month, which seems not a lot to North Americans, but in Costa Rica, that's a lot of money. So she cannot afford public health. She has no job, so her employer is not uh, paying it for neither. So she has no access to contraceptives, uh, which, uh, of course, you know, if she already has one or two kids, uh, she doesn't want more. And these women are already living in poverty, so it becomes an impossible job for them, you know, to feed their kids, to 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 go even themselves to go to back to education, etc. They have to send their kids to work at an early age, you know, so. We believe that uh, giving women opportunity to uh, to choose when they want to get kids and if they want to have kids is very important. So this said, we have an amazing sponsor in the U.S., Dr. Yu, who uh, is giving us free IUDs. Yeah, wow. He's sending boxes of IUDs every time I want. Uh, we have now enough data uh, about all these women, you know, about their lives, how they uh, feel about the IUD, how is it going on a physical level, everything about, you know, that we need to know. And we are, you know, we hope by the end of this year to present a full integrated report to the government to show them that they could actually, with the money that they're using right now in the public health system for women and contraceptives, that they could actually give uh, contraceptives and IUDs to the whole women's population that want and need it. And that uh, this is actually the, the solution to many of the problems that we're facing in Costa Rica. On an economic perspective, from a human and, and, and gender uh, female perspective, as well as, um, you know, from a rational perspective, it, mm. it, has, it makes sense. And what they're doing now doesn't make sense at all. Uh, they're giving anticonceptives to women that, you know, that women don't want, uh, hormonal and injections and, and tube ligations and things that cost them completely crazy. So, yeah, that's that's one of the things that I'm really, uh, you know, passionate about, uh, sexual and reproductive rights. That's so the so yes, Aspen Institute is following me and pushing and, you know, and hoping that the government of Costa Rica will, will follow or, or lead and our advice. Well, that goes back to what you started with, uh, this patriarchal hierarchy that you're up against. Um, the men in charge don't understand it from the sites in which you see it from the streets. And uh, I wish you well on that task. It's a, it's a monumental task when you talk about what you're talking about. It makes all the sense in the world, but explaining it to a man who cannot have children is a difficult task, I would imagine. Yes, we definitely have a, a very male leadership. Uh, and, but in Costa Rica, it's changing. We have more and more women in politics and on the leading public institutions. So I kind of feel it's the right moment in history uh, to be able to, um, to to present this project 
And the, the man in charge of the public health system in Costa Rica is actually also an Aspen Institute fellow member. Mm. He was also chosen. Uh, so, you know, I think things will be right and, and we'll, we'll see. But yes, it's, uh, it has been an amazing experience. And I felt that being chosen to be part of the Aspen Institute program has really also pushed me further uh, into what I'm meant to do in this in this life. Yeah, well, and it's emblematic this program that you're describing of how everything you do has a sort of analytical scalability aspect to it. You're not thinking, you know, it's the old teach a man a fish and feed him for a lifetime. You know, I mean, uh, uh, you, you're you're really trying to teach everybody how to fish so that they can solve their own problems, and everything you do has a very much more global aspect to it. And it's why I invited you onto this program because you're, you're, you're one of those people who has a very elevated thought process in terms of solving problems. One very important aspect is that we work with men, women and not for women. So what I mean with that is that um, the, it's the voice of the women that really made that click in me. You know, so, so they were telling constantly like, you know, we want this, we want contraceptive, we need support with this. Uh, you know, they were telling, like, we need our sexual and reproductive rights to be, you know, uh, to be uh, protected. And they were, in their language, they were telling me all this information. And I just needed to, of course, like you said, bring it to another level. It's really because they really pushed me and and I did it with them. You uh, listened. You're listening. You sh- you didn't show up in this country and tell everybody what they needed. You showed up in this country with an open heart. You listened, you learned what they needed, and then you took your incredible skills of connectivity and 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 organization and applied them to build these infrastructures that are now saving literally saving people's lives hmm. and making people happier and healthier. And and it's it's incredible. I, I was reading on the Aspen Institute site doing getting ready for this for today. They talk about moving leaders from success to significance. And we, we had a guest here, a, a surgeon earlier that talked about having he was a very successful doctor, but he wanted to lead, lead a life of significance. And and I think that distinction is very relevant to you. You're you, you're, you're everything you're doing is just quite significant and and quite legacy building. It starts from the very building block you started with, though. It all goes back to those human connections. You wouldn't have had those opportunities. Um, I'm also fascinated about your ancestors, you know, that you keep drawing on your ancestors. I'd love to come back to that for just a second. And if you've had those deep connections with your ancestors, what what would some of your ancestors be most proud of in you? Hmm... Uh, to not give up, I think, you know, um, because there are many days, I think, that um, sometimes we want to give up and uh, we don't have the strength. But I think um, perseverance, courage, definitely, uh, I think they would. Uh, and that's what I also see. Um, I did some, you know, some past life things, you know, crazy therapies that exist. And uh, I met I met her um, and... Uh, and what I what I got from her was that amazing light and courage, uh, because she had all these. I could see all these children, uh, you know, and it was so much work and so much, uh, you know. She had to give so much, but she stand and she was courageous and she was really there. 
And I think that's what she's transmitting to me and that I want to honor, you know. Um, so, yeah, and then light and love, you know. I think that this is really the core of the work, you know. It's uh, that open heart, the love, which for me is also a form of light, um, energy. So I think that uh, that's what I could feel from her and that's what I have been feeling also from several of my family members, my mother, my grandmother, who are beings of love and light. So I think it has been transmitted uh, through generations. And um, and that's what I'm also trying to pass on, you know, to every person that I meet uh, from, you know, from the highest hierarchy to, you know, the little boy in the center or the secretary. Uh, it's really the love and the light, you know, and really being there for them and being very present with an open heart. That's what mm. life, you know, in the, in the essence. Well, you oh, have, of you course just it did. Is. And you have another one. Thank you. <laughs> Leticia, you know, you're, you're a woman with many, many facets. You're a diamond with many, many facets. Um, aside from the work that you do with Sepia, you're a surfer, you're a yogi, you're a mother of a beautiful daughter, um, you're a wife, um, you speak four languages fluently. Uh, how would you identify yourself? If someone asked you, what is your identity? How would you answer that question? It, it, uh, I have struggled with that question, actually, that um, um, because it, it's putting like all these labels on yourself, right? So, uh, but um, I, I might repeat myself a little, but I think definitely... I, well, I will start with joy. I think that joy is, is definitely, I didn't get that name. It's not a, you know, it, it has a meaning. Uh, Leticia, it's, it's, I think that joy is definitely, I'm very optimistic. Even in the worst situations and when everything goes bad, I'm always going to say like, no, 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 there is a solution. Let's do this. And always, uh, and, and, and trying to stay very positive. So it's a form of joy. Uh, and breathing gives me a lot of joy. I also see myself really as a networker and a collaborator. There is nothing I want and I can do alone. I really believe in the deep that we are interconnected, that everything we do is actually not only has an impact on, on, on things and, and people, but also uh, that uh, we, if, if we want to do things and we want to, uh, you know, achieve uh, our goals, uh, it's so important to connect ourselves com constantly and be aware of uh, the connection and the amazing, uh, you know, universe that we have around us, you know, from natural world to, to humans. Uh, empathy and, and compassion, you know, uh, I think that's also part of my identity. I really feel, you know, when, when there is injustice and when people, you know, are in distress, you know, there is something happening to me. You know, I cannot, you know, I cannot turn around or I cannot, I'm not cold. I suddenly feel that heart center and the mind and, you know, everything is like starting to twinkle. And so there is a, a really physical almost experience to, to what's happening, you know, around me. Um, and I cannot, you know, I cannot be cold or indifferent. That's mm. it. That's mm. not what I want. You put that out in the universe too. You are indeed a joyful fox. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, my all, fox has a smile. So indeed, you know, all of your you, your entire identity that you just described was all emotions. Yeah, joy, empathy. Yeah, um, 
and and it's it's a beautiful thing because that that construct in the in the West is typically I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm you know, or I'm a mother. Um, but you just made it in all heart centered kind of emotional reality, and that's a that's a really that's a wonderful way to think of of oneself. This week we have the International Day of the Woman. And it's been a week to celebrate powerful, fierce women, women, um, and you are every bit that you know. You are just making making moves and making things better, and you are making the world better. And for that, you know, I I bow to you. So thank you so so much for being a part of this journey with us. Thank you, Stuart. Uh, thank you for your beautiful words. I take them in the heart, really. Um, you know, this um, it was something also about, uh, I deeply believe that we all can be of service. And I think that um, there is a lot of focus about, you know, uh, you know uh, well-being and spiritual and meditation and everything. And okay, but uh, there is a component here, like there is no real happiness or Re, I think um, uh, we can we cannot expect the world and the planet to be a better place if we are not in service to others. So, being in service towards the planet, the environment, the people that live in, in this uh, with us is is I think one of the keys to happiness to and and happiness for yourself and for others. So I think. Um, that's, um, yeah, an important thing in life Absolutely. that we all can access. If you want to feel better about yourself, help somebody else. Absolutely. Thank you. Right. It was such a right. great pleasure to have meet you and feel that, that warmth and that joy that you exude. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's, uh, it's my first podcast, so uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a historical moment, too. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Thank you, Leticia. Thank you for being on Swan Dive. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Swan Dive. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Also, we are building a new season of Swan Dive. So if you or you know someone who has experienced a Swan Dive in their life, please hit us up and contact us through our website, www.swandive.us.